given the impacts of a declining ecological system and given the escalation of climate change, my question would be then, so is the current economic system good for the environment? Is it sustainable? Hello, hello, and welcome to the New Economy Network Australia, Nina, podcast. My name is Anna Garnock, and I'm your host for this podcast. Every few weeks, I'll be interviewing folks that are a part of NINA, Australia's largest multi-sectoral network of innovators, changemakers, and advocates working for an ecologically sound and socially just economy. Today, we'll be interviewing Dr. Michelle Maloney, the co-founder and director of the New Economy Network Australia. From outback Queensland, Michelle obtained a Western education, gaining a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science, History and Laws honours from the Australian National University in Canberra, and a PhD in Law from Griffith University in Brisbane. Aside from founding Nina, she is also the co-founder and national convener of the Australian Earth Lords Alliance, promoting the understanding and practical implementation of Earth-centred law and governance and the co-founder and director of Future Dreaming Australia, a not-for-profit created in partnership with First Nations elders aimed at building cross-cultural ecological knowledge and creating an earth-centred society. Michelle is a lawyer and advocate for shifting industrial societies towards an earth-centred culture, law and governance system. With over 30 years of experience designing and managing climate change, sustainability and ecocentric projects in Australia, UK, Indonesia and the US, it's unsurprising that Michelle is in high demand, an absolute boss at wearing countless hats and a total asset in the dialogue around education on and action towards systems change and social change. Please note that as this was the first episode I've done interviewing somebody, the sound quality is unfortunately pretty average because I made a boo-boo with my microphone. So bear with me, the following episodes after this one will have way better sound quality, but for the most part, you can hear Michelle quite well in this episode, but not me too well. So I, yeah, I do apologize for that. All right. Let's begin the show. Okay, welcome, Michelle, to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. I'd like to start our conversation by asking you to please paint a picture for myself and for listeners of where you are at the moment and how things have been for you during this second wave of COVID. Well, where I am right now is in beautiful Brisbane and it's, um, I guess we're coming up to the end of our cool times and starting to shift towards um, some kind of Queensland spring. Um, The weather is delightful, uh, very livable and very, very beautiful. Um, How we're going, oh, look, I, I think I have something like survivor guilt because here in Brisbane we've only been in lockdown once this year for a week. Um, we have to wear our masks everywhere, but we're allowed out and about. And there is a real sense of, well, certainly for me, gratitude and appreciation that our community is relatively safe at the moment. We know things can change at any time. Um, but it does mean myself and many of my close friends, uh, we do try to get out and about as often as we can safely with our masks on. But just to we keep saying we should go for a picnic. We should go to the shops. You never know. We might not be able to go next week. So, yeah, we're doing okay. 
but we're very, very saddened by what's going on globally and here in Australia. So, um, yeah. Yep. I hear that. I felt that all last year being in Canberra, the safe bubble of Canberra while lockdown was entering its second and third and fourth month. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really nice to hear that you're keeping well and the weather's warming up. <laughs> Can you please explain to me in a nutshell what NINA, the new economy network in Australia, is? Sure. Um, well, uh, our standard description is that uh, NINA is a network of individuals and organisations working together across civil society and with growing interest from um, some government folks as well uh, to build a just, fair and ecologically healthy Australia with a particular focus on shifting the economic system. So it's a network of individuals and organisations all around Australia. Um, and I think what's really lovely about NINA is that it's a place where folks with really any background, any level of interest in human activities on this continent uh, can come together, show their wares, share their experience, and hopefully develop good networks and learn from others. Um, Nina's kind of core business is really to act as a platform to, so folks can find each other, tune into webinars, share information, join a hub, connect with other people. It really is um, a true cooperative. Uh, we're registered as a co-op. It's a cooperative in that we are made by the members for the members and it's all volunteer. So although we have a teeny tiny budget from our membership fees coming in each year, uh, everybody who's involved, the coordinators, the directors, all of the hub conveners, anyone who runs an event, everyone's just volunteering their time to, I guess, play a part in trying to shift the system towards something that's fairer and more ecologically healthy. Mm. Nina's kind of like Cupid bringing people together that share a similar love of caring for each other and our environment. That's, really nice. <laughs> That's great. I have never heard Nina compared to Cupid before. <laughs> <laughs> um, could you please just quickly explain to us, for those who may not be familiar with the concept, a quick definition of what a cooperative is and how it works? What a great question. Yeah, and look, I'm not an expert on co-ops, but what I can tell you is the reason we chose a co-op is we believe in um, the spirit and um, I guess the spirit and the practice of what cooperatives are all about. We have many dozens of amazing human beings inside the NINA network who are experts on co-ops. Uh, so if anyone's listening to this and want to find out more, please do jump on the NINA website and have a peek at our co-op hub. But look, in a nutshell, a co-op is a way for people to um, work together in deep equality with mutual support and mutual objectives um, with, an, I guess, an equal and fair both obligation and benefit from the work that they do. The main thing for folks who might not be familiar with co-ops to understand is here in Australia, as in many other Western industrialised countries, if you want a network or a group of people to be able to set up a bank account to do sort of day-to-day -day, um, operations, you need to be incorporated legally. And to legally incorporate an entity, it can either become a company, which you register through ASIC, or you can set up an incorporated association through one of your state-level structures, government structures, or you can become a cooperative. And cooperatives are a fairly old uh, construct, uh, even in um, European sort of mindsets. They're many hundreds of years, if not much older. And whereas a company is all about 
setting up a structure where you might have an elected board of management and the board of management um, does the work, helps set up structures and members uh, receive, if you're for profit, they receive money. And if they don't uh, set up for profit, those members of a company might receive some other kind of update or benefit. Whereas a cooperative is really built on there's these set principles, which I can't remember, but they're all beautiful. Um, and all members have an obligation to contribute into uh, the health and functioning, I guess, uh, of the entity. So that's probably all I'll say because I haven't got, um, I can't remember the core principles of co-ops, but they are really terrific and we live and work by them. So, yeah. Mm, so nice. It's such a collaborative process compared to many other kind of top-down even exploitative. <laughs> yeah, well, in many other situations like workers' co-ops, um, yeah, they really have been remarkable in generating egalitarian structures for people to work together. Inside Nina, um, you know, like any other incorporated entity, you still have to have a management committee, but we deliberately created Nina to be what we call a distributed governance model. Um, and all we mean by that is all members uh, are free to set up their own hubs on particular topics or if they want to set up a hub for their local area um, and then govern and direct that how they wish inside the principles and spirit of what Nina gets up to. So that's why when you visit the website, you'll see that there are a lot of sectoral hubs and um, folks pop in and out of the network, bringing their own expertise to share back into the network. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Beautiful. That's a really nice segue into my next question around, from my understanding, Nina started out pretty informally in around 2017 and then became this legal entity of a cooperative in 2019. Could you please take us for a stroll down memory lane and share a little history of how Nina came about and what these sectoral hubs and geographic hubs are today? Yeah, for sure. I, I do love a good stroll down memory lane. Um, I think the short version is in early 2016, uh, Bronwyn Morgan invited me to work with her to help her organise a conference. She, uh, Bronwyn Morgan is a professor of law from University of New South Wales, and she had some funding for some really excellent work she'd been doing around social enterprises and looking at um, community-based initiatives and a range of other things. When she uh, reached out to me, because at that stage, um, running AILA meant running a lot of events and people knew that I loved bringing people together and was um, enjoyed hosting events. So Bronwyn and I put our heads together and originally the event that we ended up running in the August of 2016 was going to be a focus on social enterprise, but um, I was particularly interested in seeing if others out there were keen to form some kind of civil society network for the new economy or economic um, activities, at, you know, across Australia. And to understand why I was interested in that, you need to take a little bit of a further step back and then we'll come back to how Nina formed up into an entity. Um, so back in 2011, myself and another group, uh, a group of lawyers, all environmentally oriented, deeply concerned about the state of our living world, through a number of wonderful uh, pieces of luck coming together, formed up my, what I consider my sort of primary entity, the Australian Earth Laws Alliance or AILA. And AILA's mission is to try to look across um, Australian society or industrialised societies generally and play a part in helping us understand and implement at the practical level a shift from human-centred growth-focused 
uh, societies towards earth-centred steady state, what people now often refer to as a donut economy, but it's not always helpful in these short discussions. You have to explain what the donut is. Um, <laughs> looking at how we can have um, biologically diverse, uh, healthy human beings inside an earth-centred society. So it was from Ayla um, that in 2012 and 2013, the work I was doing was exploring some really amazing concepts like earth-centred law, earth jurisprudence, rights of nature, and all of this work kept bumping up, of course, into economic issues and the growth paradigm particularly dominant in Australia. So right from the early days, we were kind of, I was, I started looking around going, where, where can we find some earth-friendly economists to play with? Um, who could be the cousin organisation for AILA to connect with so that we can be looking at law and governance more generally? Governance in simple terms are the rules and values by which human beings gather and live by. Um, the rules that we create to organise and distribute and um, to do things together. And what was interesting is um, Australia is full uh, of really fantastic thinkers. We've got amazing economists. We had a number of terrific government entities at that time. But there wasn't a sort of obvious uh, civil society network aimed at really bringing people from across different disciplines and places into this space. Um, there were a number of other networks that had a, a particular focus, a particular uh, discipline. So that was in the back of my mind so that when Bronwyn reached out and we were talking about this conference, we both agreed it'd be really awesome to see if by hosting that event, we could do a number of things, you know, bring people together across lots of different sectors and um, hear about what everyone's up to, connect with some of the other international initiatives and very, very specifically, explicitly ask people, do you think we should create some kind of civil society network for, for the economy? for people to think about shifting the economy, you know, very, very explicitly and openly. Obviously, given we're talking about Nina today, um, the response at that gathering was um, 100% yes. Um, so we had this beautiful event. Uh, we held it at the Glebe Town Hall. We had about 130 people come along. Um, and in addition to everyone, um, you know, giving updates about their work and sharing across all these different projects, we ran a bit of a facilitated process to ask folks two key questions that really continue to resonate today. What could we do together that we can't already do on our own? And what would you, what would we like to do um, ourselves, particularly inside that kind of space? You know, what would we volunteer to contribute or share or do? And they were the key guiding questions that brought people together around identifying what could be done in a network. And then I put my hand up to run another conference in 2017 and we said that we'd have some working groups and discussions in that year just to find out really what shape a network could look like and that we would come back together at a conference in 2017 and see where we were up to. There was no intention to sort of launch a network at the 2017 gathering. It was more a way of saying, let's give ourselves 12 months. There's 120 people here, but how do we feel after we leave the conference and go back to our daily lives? Does anyone have time for this? So then over months, um, we facilitated a, actually about a dozen different online discussion groups around lots of different topics and issues. Back in those days, we were just using Skype. So some of the uh, bringing everyone in was a bit grueling, but <laughs> they were very effective. And then we had the 2017 conference in Brisbane. I can't remember the month. I think it was September maybe. And um, it was like 350 people. It was a cheerful bedlam. There was just this wonderful, delightful, friendly, almost frenzied way of 
lots of different topics, lots of different issues, really carefully curated program, dozens of side events and um, we had a, a Brislet's marketplace and it was just really good fun. And so through the 12 months leading up to that, we built lots of relationships across different groups, different organisations, and we did declare that the New Economy Network Australia would exist here forth, and we declared that at the 2017 conference. And then after that, we set up yet another gruelling process of working out what our governance structure could look like, and that took place with online meetings again for about 10 or 11 months. And then at the 2018 conference, we let folks know what our plans were to incorporate. I'll be honest, a number of people said they were cranky because they wanted us to be incorporated. But we said, look, it's taken us a while to even, you know, build relationships across this continent, identify the best way to organize ourselves. And now we're going to be able to incorporate as a cooperative based on um, having these different distributed governance modes embedded into the constitution, which other organizations don't have because um, they might not have put the time in or they don't want to, they don't need to do that. But we felt very strongly that Nina should have capacity, even if people didn't take up that capacity, but should have the capacity for groups to kind of self-organize within the legal entity. Yes, there had to be a management committee and yes, there has to be legal obligations by, you know, a decision-making group, but we diluted power And we did what Indigenous Elder Mary Graham talks about in her kind of organising or governance discussions where she talks about um, separating power and authority. Mary always says that power and authority both should come from people, um, but they shouldn't all be hosted in the same entity. And so the authority for the wisdom and the knowledge and the expertise was in every single member of the network. And so as they joined the network, they were invited to then create or join a hub And it was their expertise that would be shared into the network to keep growing people's understanding of the multiplicity and the complexity and the various ways that we can shift the economy. In terms of so-called power, we wanted to dilute um, any notion that the board of directors or management committee were in charge. Yes, they are members collectively responsible for running the ship, but we didn't want to have an entity where only the board had a say or only that entity could control the future of what the work was. So, yeah, there's other bits and pieces inside the structure, um, but I don't think I don't think many people are very interested. Our governance um, working group started with 25 people, and by the end we were down to about 18 or I think, yeah, 17 or 18 really committed people. It was open for anyone to be involved in. Anyone could join at any time. Um, and I can show people the 27 different versions of a draft constitution that we worked through until we were happy that we could facilitate um, the structure we wanted. So, and I've heard since actually other folks say that particularly when you're building a co-op, building those relationships, taking time to to kind of try to get a structure that works for your unique circumstances is actually, it often builds a more, a stronger group than if you just, set up and then, hey, presto, you've got, you're incorporated and then you try to work the detail out later. So, so, so far, so good. We're small and humble, <laughs> but we're doing <laughs> You're amazing. That is a huge feat. That's such a journey from little things, big things growing. I love that you from the beginning saw a gap um, in, in a hub bringing people, like-minded people to establish a new economy together and that you actually did consult with people and get consensus that there was interest and then you um 
formulated all of these discussion groups and conferences and you ask the questions of what can we do together that we couldn't do on our own. And eventually, yeah, it sounds like a lot of relationship building and a lot of to and froing and excitement and enthusiasm. Yeah, and also the hard grinding work too. Sometimes taking your time is good because the people who think they're enthusiastic and then get bored just wander off. But the people who really know mm. that this is worth their time stick around. And that's certainly been something we've learned, I think. There's a lot of people at the beginning of things who are excited, um, but then they kind of maybe fall away as they get busy, which is totally fine. And um, certainly through the many decades of my work, I've learned that sometimes just allowing a process to, to build or to shrink or to dissipate completely is important. You know, you can't force things even though many times you do have to be the one making stuff happen. But, yeah, it's it's a weird. And, look, I'm not saying we didn't make mistakes or any of it's been perfect. It, it's, <laughs> we've muddled through and made it up as we went along. But we knew in our bones that something like this was needed and there's still so much more we'd love to do if, um, you know, if we had the resources and paid staff or whatever. But for what it is, yeah. I'm incredibly proud of everyone inside that network and everyone who's contributed mm. any shred of their time because, it's a really beautiful expression of people going, surely we can do better than this system. Surely we can be fairer. Surely we can treat Mother Earth a little better. Um, and there's so many moving parts to what we have to do. How do we do this? Which makes me jump to the civil society strategy for a new economy. But um, maybe I can tantalise you and let you keep asking your questions and I'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah, cool. And I flagged that as a comeback too. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but truly such a feat, all 27 drafts worth, and, you know, and, <laughs> and now we have a structure and people who do have the time and capacity and the, I guess, longevity to stick it out and see exciting things come to fruition. Yeah. Um, just to step back, and I know you had to step back a couple of times, but I'm going to take an extra step back. Could you just clarify in a nutshell, what's wrong exactly with our current global economic system? Yeah, how would you critique that and explain the need for a network of new economic movements? Yeah, it's, it's obviously an important question. I think that, you know, it's a huge and complex issue, but I can articulate it in a very simple way because of the, the issues that I'm interested in. So what I often do is I pose two questions to people to help them if they're not already, to think about the economy. So the first question would be, given the impacts of a declining ecological system and given the escalation of climate change and given people keep saying, well, the climate change is human created due to the uh, you know, use of fossil fuels and the economic system, my question would be then, so is the current economic system good for the environment? Is it sustainable? And most people who have an inkling or know a lot about the current state of um, the ecological crisis we find ourselves in would answer a pretty loud no. And then the second question is, given we have homeless people, given the level of poverty, even in rich countries like Australia, um, given our mental health problems in Western societies, many of which are driven by um, stressful situations, um, the next question is, current economic system is socially just? And if the answer to that is also no, then I guess we could in very simplistic terms say maybe we have a problem. A more sophisticated answer is 
very much since the Industrial Revolution, but if you go back further than that and you actually look at the history of large-scale agriculture, which many people point to 10, 8,000 years ago, starting in parts of the Middle East and Europe, as we would call them now, and then starting to change the way human beings interact and exist in the landscape from moving within it, um, using the resources they have, um, to sitting still, growing large-scale crops and starting to terraform and change the land. If you look at the way human beings have evolved in that particular mode, and particularly since the European Industrial Revolution, what we have been taking from Mother Earth or this living planet, what we've been taking and the pollution and particularly um, carbon emissions and other things that we've been putting back into the earth um, have all been generated by a way of thinking about our demands and expectations of resources and a way of thinking about what's acceptable. And all of these activities have been driven by human activities that you could define as the economy. So that's a long-winded way of saying the current economic system that we all, that I was born into in 1970, which was already in existence when, um, you know, many of us listening, talking, working today, that economic system has been born on the back of very much European imperialism, extractivism, the idea that we can dig lots of holes across the planet, dig up all the minerals and the coal and the fuels based on gas, use it all up, pump it out into the world, and yet we do all of that and we still have extreme poverty. We still have a tiny number of people with phenomenal, unbelievable wealth um, you know, the 1%, the billionaires, the people spending their waste, wasting their money on strange space races at the moment. So when you look at the history of particular, particularly, you know, my ancestors, those folks who came out of Europe and then in the time of imperialism and empire left their homes in Europe, went to other places with a mix of technological capacity, um, cultural superiority, racism, and started to extract from other places, then we are left today in the 21st century with an atmosphere pumped full of the gases we've been digging up out of the earth and burning. We're left today with a planet rapidly being denuded of the original ancient forests, um, loss of biodiversity, breaking down the delicate fabric of life that supports us. And we're left staring down the barrel of a climate changing world you know, rapidly escalating um, all of the symptoms that everyone said would come out of these behaviours. And I mean, they've been talking about it for 40 years, climate change, are all to pass right now. So why do we need a new economic system? Well, really, we need a new way of looking at our entire civilization. We, we see these kind of almost cliched statements rolled out almost insultingly towards First Nations peoples, you know, that Westerners have to listen to Indigenous knowledge, but it's a whole lot more than that. You know, we can't just throw up our hands and say, yes, we need a new economy and we will now follow Indigenous leadership. It's like, no, actually, we non-Indigenous folks all around the world who are born from, you know, these settler invader communities have to really take stock of what's been happened, of what's been happening, what our ancestors have done, um, uh, face that without any, you know, sort of trepidation, face it bravely, and understand and pull apart the systems that have caused this destruction 
and then try to make the changes and to piece back together a different way of having an economy and a different way of having a society uh, so that we can restore the living world, create a more just um, distribution or pre-distribution of resources so that everybody can live well but live in a place that is biodiverse so that the rest of the living world can actually exist. So that's my long-winded way of saying that's why we need a new economy. We're wrecking the joint. Mm, we certainly are. And those two questions at the beginning that you asked really sum it up nicely, that declining resource, finite resources um, most of the time and escalation of climate change, not to mention you spoke about economic disparity. Yeah, um, yeah this, the questions are simple. Uh, yeah. is, the current, is the current dominant economic system sustainable for the long term and is mm. it really just and the answers to both are no? Yeah, that's the good alternatives, which is exactly what you and the many members of Nina are doing. So thank you. That's a really great overview, I think, and a deeper understanding of where the many, many cracks lie in our current system mm. and the importance of a network such as Nina in everywhere in the world because we're all part of this same this same economic system so just diving into for a little bit about Nina itself and how it works I believe you have some foundational principles and you mentioned earlier that um, there's these sectorial and geographic hubs as well can you tell me a little bit about yeah this this structure that took over 27 drafts (laughs) um, that now exists and how it works and interconnects with each other. Yeah, sure. And I'll try to do it in a way that's not too kind of governance nerdy because I, you know, I am a bit of a governance nerd. Um, look, it all sounds flash when you say distributed governance and all that, but really what we wanted to do was just respect everybody's, you know, work. Just respect the fact that everyone coming into Nina is either an established or an accomplished person in their own right building their own organisations, developing their own initiatives, could be folks who've run, um, you know, food initiatives, people looking after co-housing, people who've got community energy. You know, we've got a remarkable group of human beings who know a lot coming into the network. So, of course, we wanted the network to be able to respect that and be a genuine mutual aid kind of thing, which is what a co-op is, mutual support, whereby people bring their knowledge into the system And the system, meaning Nina in this case, always have to define your system, Um, Nina could offer a platform to show their wares, to tell their stories and to help get more people to support the kinds of change they're trying to create. So definitely a give and take. So what we did when we realised we were definitely going to be a cooperative and we'd already identified the kind of core principles that we thought were important, then it was a case of saying, well, what kind of process could best facilitate freedom for our members to come together, to form up um, spaces to discuss, to work, to um, experiment together, and then if they need to, you know, dissipate and come back in some other form later on. So we wanted people to feel free to be a member, but then to come and go inside different spaces where they might offer their own expertise into a webinar, or they might join um, an activity just to learn and to listen uh, to other members to hear about the wide variety of expertise. So it was really that deep respect for everybody's autonomy um, and their work that was certainly driving me personally 
And then when we were having those governance discussions, many of the lovely folks who came in um, were interested in, you know, the kinds of innovative non-hierarchical structures that many people already knew about, uh, processes like holacracy or sociocracy where you don't just have, say, just for example, 100 members all voting at every AGM for six people to govern the entity. And then the members, what, sit back and comment on a draft strategy or they sit back and comment on an annual report or they sit back and comment on a plan. Whereas what we said was, no, nobody um, is ever going to have the brain power to be, you know, a single guiding force for Nina. We need to have everybody in. You know, we need to have ways for everyone to have a yarn to, to contribute in. So um, somewhere in the early days, I think it was really the work the working groups that we formed between 2016 and 2017 certainly gave me the idea, but I know others had ideas too about just having hubs that could be formed up by members and closed down again by members inside the network so that they could come together and um, share up updates about co-ops or food or housing or any other issue that, that occurred to them. So our job really and this is the job within governance, is to form a structure that supports the objectives and the intention of the people. And that's all an organisation should ever be, is just a, a kind of structure to help the people do the things they want to do. So we identified through all the different consultation, and consultation sort of the wrong word because there was no you know, central authority saying, thou shalt tell us what you think. It was more, hey, what should we do next? It was very much we. Um, and so through those discussions and through that imperative to enable people to come and go freely, to join up, to form, to share information, that was really important so that people could get a snapshot of what's going on across different sectors they don't normally belong to. That's mm -hmm. where hubs came together. So in a nutshell, the constitution itself was slightly modified so that we ended up with, um, you know, again, under, under law, you must have some managing entity, whether it's called a board of directors or a managing management committee, they have to be sort of, they have to be the final say for if you go bankrupt or if you have any risk analysis or if something bad happens or if something good happens, you need that. The buck stops here. But what we did was we created these two other groups, a strategic directions group and a participatory budget group, which are in effect for the, for the legal nerds, they're really just um, subcommittees. But anyone who's a member can be part of those groups. And they are the groups that actually draft up the, they'll be drafting up a budget one day when we get some money. And we've got a few folks in there looking for funding or looking for opportunities. And then the other entity is the strategic development group. And it was written up to work with the management committee, but not be controlled by it. And that leads me to the discussion about um, the civil society strategy for a new economy, which is mm -hmm. Very big mouthful, but back in the day when we were having the working groups and all of that, um, myself and, and other folks in the steering group and then later the first, you know, voted in management committee, we realised, and, and I was certainly adamant that I had this vision of saying, wouldn't it be awesome if instead of just big picture statements about, you know, having a different economy or top-down ideas from government about how we should make change in the economy. What if everybody across this network who had an idea and was already working on, you know, specific proposals for specific sectors and for aspects of systems change could all throw their ideas into one big place 
and see how they all fitted together. And would they kind of almost create this, not so much a plan, but some kind of indication for folks who might be new to the issues or, you know, you might be an expert on food, but you don't really know how do we fix housing? How do we, how do we look at renewable energy? How do we do these things better? So it was, again, how could all these amazing people across this collective share their own ideas into a place and then some of us in the coordinating hub could put that together in a way that makes some kind of sense? Pleased to report that after a year, and it got a bit quiet, um, COVID, <laughs> obviously, so I shouldn't laugh, but COVID, even a virtual organisation that was used to working on Zoom, COVID just knocked things around because people are in lockdown, they're suddenly coping at home. And so the last two years have been amazing for Nina. We've actually been even more productive, but at the same time, we've had to be really gentle with our members and not, you know, not demand too much from people. But the good news is last year, we started a process of sort of yarning up, what could a civil society strategy look like? What, hey, you fellas in the food hub, what would you say are the core things we think we want to see happen? Um, And this isn't just big picture. This is very specific actions. And could we make a patchwork quilt out of all the different pieces that everyone's talking about? And I'm pleased to report that we have the very first civil society strategy um, bubbling up out of Nina right now. We've been pulling together everyone's different ideas. And again, because we're all volunteers, we've got to do it around other time. Um, So we decided to just take our time, do some analysis. And for the conference in November, well, actually, probably much before it, probably in October, we'll share with our members a draft, a couple of draft documents. One will be the document from all the different hubs who wanted to contribute, these sectoral hubs, people with expertise or interest in a particular topic, were able to just give us their ideas about what they saw. Um, We designed a template so that anyone could fill it out and say, what's the issue? What's the problem? What's the solution? Or what's the issue? What are the things we want to strengthen? How would that look? So we've pieced it all together and now we're doing some analysis and we're going to get some folks to do some groovy, you know, the graphic graphic, graphic drawings to tell the story and mm-hmm. be the basis of, of sort of sharing and discussion at, at in one session at the conference. And then what we hope to do is every year, you know, the first one's always going to be the hardest. Once people can see what we mean, like, oh, so if you want to have universal basic income suggested, pop that in. And, and the trick, Anna, is to see do they all fit together or where is there any kind of conflict and if there's mm-hmm. a, or a space where people want different things, that's actually when the rubber really hits the road because that's when we should have things like a citizens' assembly or mm. that's for really yarning up about these issues because where things are not contentious, if people don't argue with it, then you've start, suddenly got people co-creating a kind of overview document that shows fit folks who are new to this area or whatever. These are all of the concrete things we could do to create a different economy. And I wouldn't pretend that we're anywhere near that yet, but it's pretty pretty awesome. It's really cool to see everybody's ideas all in one place and we're just juggling with the language now to kind of make it a bit consistent and a bit easy for everyone to read. And, yeah, Mm. the original document will be shared with everyone. It'll all go on the website soon. But then there'll be a couple of kind of higher-level analyses and um, hopefully a a couple of really cool cartoon-like drawings about what does Nina say what does Nina think the new economy looks like or the well-being economy looks like mm. so that's where we're up to amazing how exciting for <laughs> people to feel this <laughs> freedom and autonomy and deep respect and also this like 
collaborative effort to come together, network, connect, share ideas, share info, share expertise to the point that you've now created this civil society strategy where we can nut out overlaps, conflicts, and really get a better vision to move forward with our new economy that does consider all aspects in a, I guess, complementary versus conflicting way. That's that's really exciting big work you guys are doing at the moment. Um, yeah, I think it's exciting too. I mean, I always see how much more work we need to do, but it yeah. is exciting. It's exciting to hear other people's ideas and to bring them together, even if it's a bit rough, mm. you know, and just go, look, here's a start. What else do you think we need to add in here? You know, yeah. and then from that, people with money can come and peer over our shoulder and go, oh, oh, these are things we should be doing to support fair and just housing. You know, people mm-hmm. who know anything about topics that are unfamiliar to them can get more informed and support others. So that's what we're hoping anyway. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. How exciting. Yeah. It's not long. So when, just to tell everyone on that note, when is the conference and how can they sign up? Yes. Um, the So we've had an annual conference. So we had, as we've mentioned, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. Last year's was all online. This mm-hmm. year's conference um, is sort of being... We're hoping it'll be a hybrid, meaning it's we've got a, f- a nice venue. QUT have given us a venue here in Brisbane, fifth, uh, sixth, and seventh of November. We've traditionally always run the conference across three days on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if people can actually get together, there will be some side events in Brisbane on the Monday. Um, but interestingly, because we're all so well trained now and so used to large events on Zoom. We're also looking at um, a couple of online events, a couple of days in the lead up to the conference. So i am actually been thinking about nicknaming it, you know, Wellbeing Economy Week or something like that, so that every year we have the conference, but we might also have some other large online, you know, debates, um, discussions, things that are, you know, more open to just other folks who aren't keen on coming to the conference. So that's the 5th to the 7th of November. All the information is just starting to get pulled together now. We're finalising the program this week. And so uh, the, the website, neweconomy.org.au, has all the goss. And um, there'll be more info up there next week, I'd say. Perfect. Thank you. And just for everyone to know, I took this from your website as well. Your sectoral hubs are arts and culture, cities and urban communities, commons, cooperatives, democracy and governance, ecological economics, education, energy, faith groups, First Nations economics, food, health, housing, inner dimensions and healthy cultures, just transitions, law reform and legal services, localization, money and local currencies, post-extractivism, research hub, rural and regional economies and youth. And so that basically, if anybody is looking at ecological sustainability, social justice, democracy, place-based and emphasising locality, First Nations people in Australia, et cetera, um, they can kind of put their interests and or expertise in any of those um, sectoral hubs to either be part of the network or even just learn learn from people within the network that are doing things if they at this stage may just have an interest but don't necessarily have anything to add. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, we're really open and honest in our group. Some of the efforts we've made to have this distributed governance mode, to have the hubs, we often say some of the some of the hubs get active and then they get sleepy. Others have been sleepy for a while, particularly since COVID. But we kind of invite everyone 
the main requirement for those hubs is that they just share info, their own expertise and info back into the hub, uh, into the wider network at least once or twice a year if they can. Yeah, so it's not pressing demands. No one's, you know, coming down and nagging people. It's more like, hey, Health Hub, we haven't heard from you for a while. Did you want to share some info? Um, so myself and another volunteer, the wonderful Rhiannon Hardwick, um, we both helped to keep keep the engines, I guess, uh, uh, the sustainable energy engines of Nina flow up. I was trying to think of a clever metaphor, but I must need a coffee. <laughs> Working well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say flowing, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah, so we just stay in touch with people, kind of like a little hub and spoke idea. And then there's other hubs, like the research hub this year with um, Hamed Husini from the University of Newcastle. They've been doing amazing things with their reimagining quality of life seminar series. You know, like we've got a, an incredible webinar with Noam Chomsky this Friday because of Hamed work so yeah just different hubs come and go you know what I mean they're always sitting there there's contact points and look if nothing else if you're new and you pop into the Nina website and you see all the different topics then it'll either delight or confuse but most people get excited and go oh look at all these issues how can I connect so that's what we hope anyway absolutely so important to check out the Nina website neweconomy.org.au just to wrap up I have 10 super super quick questions if you can answer in 20 seconds or less um, okay. <laughs> if you could recommend one resource, book, report, article, documentary, etc., uh, that basically summarizes everything that Anina is about to its core, what resource would that be? Oh, that's a good question. If you'd asked for Ayla, I could tell you one book. That's um, Thomas Berry's The Great Work, Our Way into the okay. Future, which critiques the human centeredness of industrialized societies. For Nina, for thinking about a compassionate, a compassionate economy. Look, I think maybe maybe three things. You could look at uh, Helena Norberg-Hodge and the localization movement. She's written a book or two on that. You could look at Charles Eisenstein. He's got a number of different books about, you know, the economics and happiness. Um, Kate Raworth and Donut Economics is very, very important, very popular. Not quite as earth-centered as Nina is, but certainly a great place to have a look. But it's actually a very good question. Continue. I think about. I think Nina should develop its own little something or other so folks can read it. Maybe we'll do that out of the strategy. Hopefully. Oh, couldn't agree more. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, who is one person that has been an immense source of personal and professional inspiration for you? Absolutely, hands down, Mary Graham, adjunct. Mm. Associate Professor at the University of Queensland, remarkable Indigenous elder of the Kombu Mary and Waka Waka peoples. Um, I've learned so much from her. I, I just can't even begin to explain. I love her dearly. So, yep. I Google her. <laughs> Beautiful. That gave me shivers. Uh, I'm curious about how you navigate on a daily basis. The dilemma of, on one hand, you're, obviously you deeply understand how economy is centred on this infinite growth is clearly harmful to both people and our environment. Um, and as such, you've dedicated your life's work to that, to, to, to shifting that. Um, yet on the other hand, your survival at this point in time depends on being part of this system. So how do you reconcile that? Pretty easily because I'm an old girl and I've spent decades torturing myself and I've come to a place of peace. Um, as I said before, I was born in 1970, born into the system. I didn't create it. So the most I do is dedicate my working life 
to playing a positive part in trying to shift that system. That's number one. And number two, I'm a steady stater. So I don't consume very much. Um, I'm not a big shopper. You know, we try to grow some of our own food. So, you know, all the we've got solar panels, which is really not the answer, but it's a good answer. So we try to do all that we can as a family um, to not over-consume, but we're absolutely embedded in, let's face it, white, privileged, um, elite economic activities because we are non-Indigenous Australians. So fully aware of that, um, my little retirement plan would absolutely be to um, disappear onto some land somewhere and just um, grow things and sleep under a tree. So if my old age and, <laughs> and survive that, you know, simplifying even further as an older person, that's about the best answer I can get. I love it. Amazing. I'll come join you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From Coles. <laughs> uh, um, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to Australia's leading politicians, what would it be? Look, if I could give advice and they'd listen, I would like everybody in the Liberal National Party to resign. Mm-hmm. I'd like new politicians to come through um, younger, diverse, caring, earth-centred people. Other than that, I would tell them to listen to the scientists, listen to Nina, listen to all the good people and um, take climate change desperately seriously and transform our economic system so that we're living within our ecological limits. Well said. I hope that they would listen to that. but something <laughs> uh, If all of a sudden you miraculously had infinite time, money and resources to spend on Nina right now, which I know you said earlier that you're short of always because people are volunteering. But if you did have infinite time, money and resources right now, what would you do within Nina? Um, got an immediate answer to that because I've been daydreaming about this for years. Um, a network of well-funded community economy and community ecological health centres where every single town and community has amazing people who are employed and they have money to pay for their work, to do outreach and to share and to help everybody else get the cutting-edge info about how to change the system. And I think if you had that sort of powerful, incredibly interconnected hub where everyone on the community scale was able to meet their own personal potential, supported probably by a universal basic income so everyone could do the things they were meant to be doing, not just some dumb old job they don't want to do. You would let communities find their own local solutions and then all of those empowered communities would um, forge upwards to create national strategies that can support place-based, environmentally friendly, strong localization. Yeah. I think from my experience with Nina, folks on the ground have the answers. Not all the answers. We have to play together. Um, but, you know, that's what we need. We need stronger decision-making that way. Couldn't agree more. Hopefully in our lifetimes we'll get to something that looks like that. That's the yeah, dream, something right? that looks like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm mindful that you have another meeting coming up, so we might wrap it up and I'll save those other five questions for oh, you. <laughs> yeah, for next time. <laughs> My fault for not um, taking 20 seconds to answer. <laughs> no, you're completely fine. I guess I'd just like to quickly summarize if anyone's listening right now that isn't already a part of Nina and isn't necessarily working in a field that seeks to challenge our economic system but at the same time is interested in and aligns with Nina's principles and work how can they get involved yeah sure look um 
if they jump on our website, they'll see that there's always a webinar or two every month. So the gentle way to engage is have a read of the website. Um, the Nina Journal is there. You could read lots of articles and start to become familiar with the humans out there doing good things. You could listen to a webinar. Um, you could get excited and become a member, which is a wonderful act of solidarity. And if you mm-hmm. can't afford it, you shoot us a note and we'll help you out. Um, yeah, and just connect with the things that are most interesting to you because there is nothing as unstoppable as an excited and passionate human being. Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today to launch the very first episode of the Nina podcast. It's been really interesting hearing a bit more about how Nina started and why and how far you guys have come. And I look forward to chatting to you again another time to hear some more examples of what's happening on the ground and get more into the juicy parts. But that was a a beautiful opening. So really appreciate your time, Michelle. Cheers. Thank you, Anna. And thank you for becoming one of the many, many volunteers into the Nina space. We We are really only whatever we all bring to it. So thank you for bringing the podcast into our world. Awesome. Oh, my absolute pleasure. You take care, Michelle, and chat again soon. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. So that was Michelle Maloney, the co-founder and director of Nina, an all-round legend, giving us a solid introduction into how and why Nina came about and the direction in which it's heading. I feel like that interview just covered the tip of the Nina iceberg, which makes me all the more excited to hear from the next interviewees and continue learning from the many interesting, proactive, inspiring people that collectively form this grand web of connections within Nina. As Michelle mentioned, you can check out the Nina website, neweconomy.org.au, to sign up to the newsletters, join regular webinars, attend the upcoming conference from 5th to 7th November, I believe she said, and many other events. Join the Facebook page and other social media pages. And, of course, consider becoming a member of Nina to help build this nationwide momentum towards economic well-being and social progress. And finally, a special thank you for music production. The song featured in this episode is called Trace Defunct Instrumental by Ketza, sourced from creativecommons.org, a not-for-profit organisation that helps overcome legal obstacles to the sharing of knowledge and creativity to address the world's pressing challenges. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. Take care of yourselves. Until next time. One planet, one love.